we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. This is the second part of a two part episode to hear part one, listen to last week's episode and then come back for this one. Um, just to share with you a little bit of my experience, I found the whole thing very humbling because I've always been an advocate for silence and stillness and solitude. And then I realized that I always was advocating for that from a, from a privileged position because I could choose to be solitary or not. I could choose to be silent or not. And to have that choice being taken away really kind of shifted how I experienced my own contemplative practice. And I can tell you, even the Trappists are feeling the burn. Um, okay. The ones the ones that I'm, I'm in relationship with, because their guest houses are all closed as well. Uh, maybe during World War II that might have happened some, but it's so unusual for these communities not to have guests. And it is a burden for them. So backtracking a little bit into humor for just a second, I loved in the National Catholic reporter article that well and also i hope this is a truth that you, you you said i provide myself with enough chocolate to keep going oh of course nature's perfect food that's right that's right uh kathleen i'm curious which of your books was the most difficult to write and which was the easiest in a way the easiest was dakota even though it took eight years because the subject was right there. I knew there were all these, and, and actually the Cloister Walk too, they had all these stories I wanted to tell, I knew I wanted to tell. And so I was just propelled writing both of those books. Those are the first, um, the first two, because with stories about the Dakotas that nobody knows, nobody goes there, or they go to the Black Hills and, they, and they're driving there, they think, my God, there's nothing out here. If they venture into North Dakota, it's, it's even worse. Uh, they don't have any mountains. And, you know, so I just knew I, I want to introduce people here and what's going on here to people and with the Benedictines, too. These people are really interesting and nobody knows about them. So there was that Im, Im, impulse to do it. And by far, there's not a question. The most difficult book was Decidia because it is a difficult subject. I went through some of the most difficult experiences in my life while I was writing it. And I'll never forget when I was talking to uh, an Episcopal nun, actually, when I told her I was writing a book about acedia. This was early on in the process. She said, well, you know, you've taken on the devil himself. And now that it, now that I've finished that book, I know exactly what she meant. She was absolutely right about that. And it, the crazy thing is that, that her comment didn't stop me. I just kept going with it, but it was extremely difficult. And I would have things that would happen, like uh, a family, my dad died, my, my husband died. I would be shut down for over a month. I couldn't write a postcard. I was completely shut down. And it's the most hardest thing in the world is to start up again. Okay, I have all this junk. What am I going to do with it? All these pages. What am I going to do with it? Do up and just keep going and it really it strikes me as kind of it's, it's either i'm either the most stubborn person on the planet or it's a miracle that i was able to finish that book, that book. so those are 
because I, I didn't I didn't have all, all the stories that I wanted to tell that I have to share with people. It's more like, you know, this is an important subject. How can I make it relevant to people? And it was just a more difficult um, thing to tackle the devil. Yeah, yeah. No small feat. Uh, what's What would you say is your first love in terms of uh, poetry or writing autobiographically? Well, poetry, because that's where I first started. And, and I've had periods in my life when it's come very easily. I've had periods like, like right now when it's coming very slowly. I have been building up over the past five or six years a little body of poems. And I look back at them and I revise them. And, and so that that's a constant in my life. And I think it always, I hope it always will be, because that's one of the wonderful things about poetry and writing in general. You can keep going until you drop dead. I mean, you don't, people in their 90s, I remember talking to poets in their 90s, Stanley Kunitz and John Hall Wheelock years ago in New York City, and they're in their 90s and they're still talking about writing their new poems. So that that's, a, that's one of the more positive things about it. So in your book, A City and Me, you have this quote, but hope has an astonishing resilience and strength. Its very persistence in our hearts indicates that it is not a tonic for wishful thinkers, but the ground on which realists stand. So I'm thinking about our joking around and the perfect food chocolate. Besides that, what is your hope in this time? Well, I hope people, you can use the time well and uh, foster their, a deepened relationship with their communities, their church communities, their families, the monastic communities. Um, maybe someone that you can't stand turns out to be a pretty cool person and you, 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 you go, oh, okay. You know, but hope to be able to use this time, not to fret about it, not to be so anxious that you can't do that and come out of it realizing that things have changed and maybe we, aren't going to go back exactly the way it was, that might be very helpful too. In Hawaii, it's a very, that's a very hot topic now because last year we had over 10 million visitors and now we're realizing what damage that has done. There are thousands of rental cars in, in, the, in our stadium parking lot now that we're, we're clogging the streets with traffic. The wildlife, the whales are able to have the, it's just in the paper today, because this is when the humpback whales, they breed and give birth here in the waters. And they're able to do it free from all the little uh, whale watching boats that are really invading their, their lives at a very critical time. It's certain areas that locals really love but have stopped even using because of the influx of tourists you know, are, are, are open now. You can go walk there. Um, so there are all these things we're really starting to think, well, do we, we, do we really want to go back to the way it was? And that's one example, but I think there's a lot of, I'm hoping people will come out of this with more of that holistic knowledge and thinking, well, maybe this change, there's something here that is for the better and I can stay with it. I mean, for myself, this one's a very simple example, even though my gym will reopen and I'll be able to go and do cardio and all these fun things that people my age need to do or, you know, uh, to keep going, but I'm planning to keep walking every morning, early in the morning, because that has been just such a blessing. And I, I never take music to listen to. 
at the gym or on my walk, I, I just listen to what's going on in here, try to notice what's, you know, the birds, like I say, the bird song and anything else out there. Uh, but I'm hoping that I'll, I'll keep up with that after this is over because it's been, it's been so valuable. With the vast difference of landscape, where, where, where you write in Dakota and, and now you being in Hawaii, I'm wondering if you have a, a similar feeling. In Dakota, you write, a person is forced inward by the spareness of what is outward and visible in this land and sky. The beauty of the plains is like that of an icon. I love that phrase. What seems stern and almost empty is merely open, a door into simple and holy state. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, if I were there, I would be, I'd be walking again, again, taking morning walks like I usually did. I found out that the nursing home there is in that little town is under strict lockdown. They've, they've been, even though they haven't had a lot of cases, they have had some deaths in South Dakota that they are taking precautions. Um, and some businesses are, are still open, but social gatherings, big gatherings aren't happening. And uh, so they are taking it more seriously than actually I thought they would. But I, but then one of the humorous things that came this week, in fact, I was just talking to someone this morning from South Dakota, from that town, and he hadn't seen it. But I, I said it was just a picture of one, like it could be one of the highways around Lemon. There's one car in the road and this long distance. They said, you know, people in the Dakotas have been practicing social distancing for a very long time. <laughs> and so there is some of that, you know, that they're, especially people who live out on a ranch that's 45 miles from town. They're, uh, you know, they're pretty good at this stuff. And I, I, but I love my neighborhood. I, and I'm getting to know my neighborhood. That's one of the benefits of walking. I notice little gardens that I've never seen before. I, I try, I go down streets I've never walked on before. I'm learning a lot about my neighborhood uh, that I never knew before. And it's giving me that opportunity. So I think there's a lot out there that people can take advantage of. And again, that first week I was just sitting home. I was reading. I wasn't super depressed or anything. I was I was streaming too many movies probably and reading some, but I was basically just a couch potato. And the minute I got out and started walking, I saw so many things and you know learned a lot about my neighborhood, which has been really valuable. In fact, there's a little house I just passed it this morning. Um, it's been on advertised for sale, and I realized when I passed by, it's a teardown. Uh, it's going to be sold for a lot of money, and it's a little house, and you can tell that the people who, it was once, a, it very typical of the homes in this neighborhood, a small house, you could tell a lot of care went into the little garden and the plants, and some of the plants and little statues are even still there, and I'm thinking, well, probably an older, classic thing in this neighborhood would be an older Japanese-American couple own this place, raise their kids there. And I just thought, okay, I'm praying for them. I hope wherever they are, that this is going to help them afford their retirement, that their kids know they're doing the right thing by selling the house. It's just very sad to see a nice little house that was once loved and cared for. That's going to be torn down, you know, but things like that, that are opportunities, opportunities for prayer and opportunities for reflection and all of that. I wouldn't see if I was still sitting on the couch and I'll have my chocolate Sometimes before and sometimes after my walk, but I'll have my chocolate, but I'm not going to just sit around all day. This conversation on Encountering Silence will continue after a 30-second break of silence. 
take a moment and breathe with us. This may be a little bit of an off-the-wall question, but it's just something that's on my mind, and I'm just going to throw it out. Kevin and Casty, feel free to jump in as well. But um, I'm on the staff of my parish, the part-time staff. So um, we had a staff meeting this morning by Zoom, of course. And the priest, who's the pastor, uh, again, he's a Jesuit, he was talking about how they are investing in streaming equipment because his thinking now is that live streaming at the parish level is here to stay. So, you know, it's not just something they're gonna do to get us through the gap, you know, through the pause as, as our friend and, and recent guest Patrick Shen described it. But that, um, that churches, or at least our church, and I'm assuming a lot of other churches, think that live streaming masses or services or prayer meetings or classes or that kind of thing is going to continue even after the social distancing mandates are, are behind us. Well, however long that takes, you know, it might be two years. But so I'm here's my my question of curiosity. You know, obviously there there will be a new normal. Nobody knows what that new normal looks like. I think a lot of us have kind of our hopes for what the new normal could be. But I'm curious as to what thoughts would you want to say, speaking as a poet, as a writer, as a contemplative, about this new kind of normal in terms of using streaming services, using Zoom and, and you know, WebEx and, and GoToMeetings and all that. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing uh, in balance? And, and what, what would your hope be for how we stay connected this way in the future? Well, I think from what I've seen, like my church services on Zoom, there's a lot to be desired. I mean, it works okay. It's wonderful to see people's faces, but we're not being very creative with it. Like we're not encouraging people to stay on and have a conversation afterwards. And it's partly just pastoral uh, ministry that needs to be more creative. And I think if the more creative we can be with these any technology, the better. I think Vimeo. I, there's a church, uh, Episcopal Church in Providence, and I, you know, I, I worked at Providence College for a year, and I got to know this wonderful church. They do a service on Vimeo that's just marvelous because they have different people from the congregation at home reading the scriptures. So there's a lot of planning that goes into this, and sometimes it's youth from the church, sometimes it's an older person. So, so when you turn on the Sunday service, you get a whole bunch of different people and you might have a choir member singing at home. Sometimes they'll have a couple of choir members in the church itself. So you get to see this beautiful church and they certainly use the organ. The organist is there in the church. He can be by himself. He can perform. So you get some music, you get things. And then, of course, you get a homily, sometimes from a lay, a lay person, sometimes from the priest. But you really feel like you've been to church a lot more than if you're just visiting on Zoom and, and listening to a little homily, and that's it. So I think the more creative you can be, 
uh, the live streams from St. John's, especially during Holy Week, that 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 got me through Holy Week because they've always live streamed their Monday, Thursday, the Triduum liturgies. I always try to participate in them as I can, but I'm singing along. I know a lot of the people who are reading. It, it really meant the world to me to be able to do that. Uh, but now they're doing their, their masses every day, which I know is a big investment for them. And it took was a lot of struggle to get that to work right. The first couple of weeks they were doing it, it was hit or miss, but it's working pretty well now. But I, I think it's important. And I think, you know, one of the things I learned, I, I belong to the prayer chain at my church. And this crisis has made us understand. We had a meeting on Zoom. And we have one member who was with us on the island of Oahu, but moved to Kauai a few years ago. And we realized that we can, if meeting on Zoom, she could join us for the first time because she's she's been in touch with us by email. And then our priest said, well, you know, you can do this from the parish house. The next time you next time you're meeting in the parish house, once this is over, you can still connect with her on Zoom so she can still come to all the meetings that had never occurred to us. And now it did. So I think there's some things like that that might be very helpful in the future, but I think it's going to take people being creative because I really, I really don't like the worship that, that my church is doing on Zoom all that much. The main thing is to see people, to see people's faces and hear their voices. And, and, and we've been very good. We've had a couple of elderly people who've been able, one lady was finally able to connect. We could see her, another lady connected by phone for the first time yesterday. So it, and that's, that's really important. But I do think we, we're going to have to learn to be very creative about how we work with people and have church services. Because, you know, church is not a spectator sport, so that's it's tricky. But we'll see. You know, I think it's going to be a challenge for all of us. Circling back to the, the some of the things we were discussing regarding mental health, the, the accessibility of off, this, that offering, of offering church online continually through live stream in some manner, I think is really beneficial. And speaking for myself in terms of mental health, I also recognize that sometimes I might do that because it might be easier, whereas I might actually need to be going and physically passing the piece. Whereas, you know, there's days, sure, where um, it's just more comfortable to stay home. And there's days where, you know, I think accessibility would really matter to people that maybe are agoraphobic or just, you know, can't, can't make it out of bed because of chronic illness or chronic pain. And, um, and one of the things, this whole thing has exposed, there's, you know, a lot of our weaknesses in our society have been exposed with this medical care, a lot of number of things, but the people who have no internet access, it's, it's huge. And even, you know, our, our parish has a very wide mix of incomes. We've got some very wealthy people and some working class people, which is one of the good things about it. But there's this one guy, I used to see him all the time on the bus in my neighborhood because he obviously was riding back. I was usually riding back and forth to my gym. And he was usually, I think, riding back and forth from work. And then he started coming to church. And I said, oh, I, I know you from the number four bus and got to know him and everything. But I found out on Easter Sunday, he showed up. I was in the labyrinth. And he showed up and he said, there's no church today. And I said, no, I, I don't know how much access he even has to news. Because I said, you know, we're not allowed to have big gatherings right now. And so I asked him if he had any computer access. He had none. And so um, I found out that he can call into the Zoom things. So I got the, the, the priest had 
she said she'd already sent him the information, but I don't know if he knew what quite what to do with it. So I, I called him and I said, you know, you can call, you can phone into Zoom. But I said, if you want to come over to my place and, you know, wear a mask, I have a mask if you don't have one, uh, you can watch it on my computer. And he said he didn't, he, you know, I said, and he has my phone number now. It's not anybody I really know all that well or anything, but I thought, well, you know, you have to do what you can for someone who has no access. I'm hoping that he will that he will call in. But again, it's one of those things that we take this for granted that people have access and a lot of people don't. With online education too, I mean, there's been a lot of effort at schools providing meals for kids who otherwise wouldn't get them. Uh, teachers going to, to homes to give people either mailing or, pres- or giving all these materials for the kids to work on because if they can't go online, how can they attend school? In fact, the state of Hawaii, the Department of Education is actually giving uh, laptops to a lot of kids just to get them able to access and stuff. But again, you know, it, sometimes it takes a, a, a crazy situation. It takes a plague to make us realize what's really going on with a lot of people. Well, because you're a poet and because you're a poetry reader, I wonder if you have a poem you might want to share with us of yours or of someone else's. But one thing I did want to say, one of the things I've learned in the few encounters that I've had is that right now, this whole thing is making people want to talk. And of course, as a good Benedictine oblate, that means that I have to listen. So, and again, that's a form of silence where you're, you know, you're listening you're silent. And so I remember I, one of the great blessings of my life is that I'm able to have groceries delivered. Two of the grocery stores have been delivering. I don't have a car, so I use the service anyway, but with the pandemic, it's been really important. One day I got a delivery and this guy was standing outside my door at a safe distance and he just unloaded on me about the pressure he's under, some of the difficulties he has in our neighborhood where he can't get his truck up a steep hill and he has to, you know, he has a he has a dolly, but he has to cart it up. And he and he said the sweetest thing he was saying. It's really terrible, and I need to warn other drivers about this place. But it's a really sweet old lady who uses a walker, so we have to take it up to her. I mean, and I'm just listening. I'm just going, wow, yeah, you know, agreeing. And I, I had to take something to uh, ship something FedEx, and this young clerk in the store was had to tell me all about how she's trying to help her grandma get exercise, get out away from in front of the TV and get out a little bit, you know, so people need to talk right now. And that's been very, very interesting to me that, and it makes sense. It makes sense. If you're, if you're in a store, which I mean, I haven't been in very many at all, or even the bank or whatever, people are just, they want to talk and I want to listen and I'm hearing all kinds of things, which has been very interesting. And, I, and actually, I think that's another one of the good things that, that uh, people are using this opportunity. They see a face come into their little FedEx store, which is usually really busy, and there's hardly anybody there. So they're going to tell you about their grandma. Mm-hmm. And good. That part is good. I think I'm going to read uh, this little poem called The Presbyterian Women Serve Coffee at the Home because it's kind of, it's about taking a new perspective on something that most people would think is a negative thing, like being in a nursing home and gaining a new perspective on that. 
So that's why I chose, because we're in this weird time and it's easy to think really negative thoughts about what's going on, but there might be something more for us. Here's the Presbyterian women serve coffee at the home. I'm so afraid, one says, of growing old. Not of growing old, says another, but catastrophic illness. Becoming helpless, adds one, losing the little mind I've got. We laugh and throw out coffee grounds. And yet, says one, I see my grandmother now and remember her as she was. It's hard for me, but I wonder how unhappy she really is. They live in the past, says one. It's a kind of mercy, says another. Their husbands haven't died. Their children are still young. They make no distinction between the living and the dead. It must be like eternal life, says one who wipes the coffee pot and folds the dish towels. Fear passes out of us. We scoop up cookie crumbs and scour out the sink. Then we each go our own way, unaccountably happy. Is that found in your... That's in Journey. The poems book? Journey. Journey. Okay. University of Pittsburgh Press. It's still in print. Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today. We could just go on and on and on, and I love it. You are, you carry so much wisdom, so much humor that I truly appreciate right now, and so much insight that I'm so grateful for. So thank you for your work, and I hope that you are continuing to write during these times and always. Yeah, I'm, I'm, now that I've, I've met a couple deadlines, I have no excuse, which means I have to really get to the, the big project that has been driving me crazy. So we'll see. If you're screaming for all the way from Honolulu, you'll know I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> this was great fun. Yeah. So. Yes. So much yeah. fun. Thank you so much. And we're not even going to wait until the next time there's global trauma before we call you again. <laughs> The abbot at St. John's, uh, this I think it was his Easter homily, um, you know, he's a chemist. He was a chemistry professor uh, before they elected him abbot, so he knows science really well. And he pointed out that this is a not very robust virus. That's mm. why you kill it with 20 seconds of hand washing. It's not very robust. The problem is that it's super contagious. Right. And right. nobody has immunity. So it was, you know, uh, it, it, so mm. just beware of the not very robust virus and and kill it when you can mm -hmm. uh, be well and all that fun stuff and yeah we we don't have to wait i i don't know how long it'll be for me to get a book out i mean the publishing industry is crazy right now along with everything else correct but, um, correct have a good week then people thanks, thanks. same to you stay healthy God and sane bless. peace thank you so much take care We are Encountering Silence. I'm Cassidy Hall. To learn more about me, please visit CassidyHall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. To find out more about my work, visit my website, KevinMichaelJohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. My website is CarlMcCollman.com. please visit the podcast website at EncounteringSilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. By making a purchase through our website, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Also, to learn more about how you can be a part of our circle of supporters, visit Patreon.com slash EncounteringSilence.
This way you can share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world.